The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about medical privacy, and we are welcoming back one of our very favorite guests, Dr. Deborah Peel, who is founder and chair of Patient Privacy Rights, and that's patientprivacyrights.org. Let me tell you a little bit about her. She is the nation's leading advocate for patients' rights to control access to sensitive personal health information in the electronic age. And the, um, the lack of healthcare privacy causes millions of people to avoid getting early diagnosis and treatment for such things as cancer, depression, and STDs every year. She became an expert and privacy warrior to stop patients from being harmed. She's a practicing physician and Freudian psychoanalyst, and her passion is educating the public about privacy-enhancing technologies, architectures, policies, and laws, so they can advocate to restore their civil and human rights to healthcare privacy. And she is just such a wonderful consumer advocate for us for privacy rights. I am just so thrilled to have you back again. Thanks so much for joining us, Deborah. Oh, you're very welcome, Mari. I'm thrilled to be with you. Well, we're also, you know, we've had you on before and we've seen you at Poneman Institute. So it's just great that you're doing the work that you are. You are literally the leader in this area. So why don't we talk a little bit about what is the current state of health data privacy protection today? That's a big question, but maybe you could give us, let's get going on it. Sure. Well, it's a big question, but the answer is really scary. Uh, We have zero control over the most sensitive information about us, data, data about our minds and bodies. We have zero control over it. And and it's, it's confusing because all of the messages in the media and from government are about, oh, how wonderful it's going to be, used, going to be to use this big data, everything about us, to supposedly improve our health. Uh, but that's not what's happening. Uh, all of our health data, all, everything really about our minds and bodies, from electronic health record information to prescription records to claims data to things that you say on social media like Facebook and Twitter are all being collected and and sold and uh, it's 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 frankly Mari it, it's the greatest data privacy breach no one has ever heard of I mean if we think in terms of what we've heard uh, 
not so long ago, the giant Target breach. I mean, this is far bigger because every single person in this nation is affected, and yes. we just don't know about it. Yeah. When when you talk about lack of control, let's kind of clarify that what you sure. mean by that and how that compares to the to the old paper medical records. Um, that's a great idea. In fact, it's a really good way to contrast it. So, when records and still many of them are, but most of them are being pushed away from from paper right now. But when when we had a system of only paper records, you had records in a few places, typical person, a handful of places. They might see a few doctors. They might have showed up at one or two hospitals. So we're looking at a small number of places where there was a physical folder that had pieces of paper in it. Okay, so... One of the things that's important to think about is only one person could look at that record at a time. Right. And there were very few of them. And when they were moved, you, the patient, had to direct that movement. You know, you had to give a your consent. You had to sign a form that said, send my record from Hospital A to Dr. Smith or from Dr. Jones to Dr. Smith. So you knew every time there was a use of your information, who was getting it and what the reason was. Right. So in the paper age, if there was a breach, you know, for example, if your record got faxed to the wrong Dr. Jones or something like that, that breach, that data breach could be remedied. The information could be destroyed at the other end or returned. Right. So we had a system where each person knew exactly who had their information and the reason that they needed it and what they were going to use it for. Okay, so if we switch over to talk about the electronic health system, we have an entirely different situation. Right. So, for example, at one hospital, there will be between 150 and 650 different technology vendors that have access to and use your health information at one time. Some of them can own it. So um, so you have this large number of private companies that are providing the technology that get to have our data and we we don't have we don't have any way to know even who they are. Right. In addition to that at a hospital, a typical hospital, you know, I'm here in Austin, Texas. We have uh, a couple of them, two private ones, an HCA hospital and Ascension Hospital and a and a public hospital called Brackenridge. Uh, each of them has about Oh, 5,000 medical professionals on staff, maybe 2,000 doctors uh, and three to 4,000 nurses. So let's say they each have five to 7,000 people. Any one of those health professionals, for sure, can access all the records that are held in that hospital for every patient. And in the Austin area, that's about 2 million records. So... There's nothing that prevents anyone inside of a hospital from seeing your information. And now, let me ask you a question, Deborah. Is yeah. there an audit trail? So if, if you're a nurse or you're a doctor and you go in there, is there an audit trail to show who accessed it? Funny you should ask that, Mari. <laughs> That's an incredibly relevant point. <laughs> so, Okay. <laughs> Just to give your audience a little history, in 2009, remember our economy went off the cliff? Yeah. Well, it was the bright idea of government and industry 
and I say this very specifically, not our idea, not patients, not doctors, to dump $29 billion into building an electronic health system. Right. Okay? But they built a system where we, the patients, no longer move our data from doctor to doctor, doctor right. to hospital, or whatever. They cut us out completely. Right. So now all of the data holders move the data for us. Okay? Mm. But one of the compromises was our bipartisan coalition for patient privacy. So we have a a group of about 50 organizations, and they, they, they're of every political persuasion, mm-hmm. from the gun owners of America to the ACLU, mm-hmm. you know, from gay and lesbian organizations to heavily Christian organizations. We have, the thing is, is the entire public wants to control their data. So right. we represent 10.3 million people, and one of the protections, one of the consumer, or however you want to put it, public protections we got into the stimulus bill was, okay, you're going to dump $29 billion into building electronic health records. We get for that, since we don't control them, audit trails. We're supposed to have audit trails of right. every single use or disclosure from electronic health records. That's not everything, okay? We wanted a chain of custody. Right, about so the you crime could see, shows. right. But right. we settled for, okay, we'll take it. We'll take the first step, which is we want to know every time there's a user disclosure from our electronic health records. Okay. Right. So that law was passed in 2009. Guess when the regulations to operationalize the accounting for disclosures uh, were finally um, released by the government? What? Just recently, right? They've never been released. Oh, no. No. <laughs> we are five years out, Mari, oh. and the industry is screaming. Do you know why? We've had several hearings about it, and of course I've been testifying. Hmm. Every day, just so people who are listening know this, every day you're in the hospital, hundreds of humans look at your records. Exactly. But thousands of electronic machines look at your records, and hmm. they are they are from the different vendors, those 150 to 650 different technology vendors. Hmm. They may be government they may be you know they we don't know what they are that which is one of the reasons yeah drum roll that we wanted an accounting for all disclosures whether electronic automatic or human now it's very possible that some of the electronic uh checks of your records are to make sure that uh you know the data quality is there the integrity the you know the data is still safe it hasn't been broken into some of them could well be things that we would want to be checked frequently. Right. The problem is we don't know. We don't know any of what the checks are. And again, as I pointed out, a lot of the technology vendors either by contract with a hospital own the data or have the right to use and sell it or trade it. And we don't know how, you know, I bet if you asked any doctor that works at any hospital, they'd have no idea how many of the technology systems at that hospital use, sell, or trade, or even own mm. patient data. The doctors wouldn't know. I'm sure the head of the hospital doesn't know. So what about our right to be able to find out who has seen our, our documentation, you know, through HIPAA and through, like, California law? What about that right? That right is a, it's a joke, huh? No, there <laughs> is no... They, 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 by not implement... Okay, you think... I thought, this is how dumb I am, but I'm not a lawyer. I'm just a doctor... I thought once it was a law, it was a law. 
that's not actually true, whether it's at the state level or the U.S. government level. You know, the legislature or Congress passes the law, and that's nice, and it's on the books. Right. But it doesn't really count until they until the write the regulations, meaning right. they describe in detail how it will actually work. Right. And so since the accounting for disclosures, right. which, which we got into the federal stimulus bill, since the regulations have never been written, it's as, exif- it's as if we do not have that protection. We certainly don't. And the thing that's so crazy about it is, there have to be logs. There are logs that are human readable of every access to any data uh-huh. in an electronic system. Anyone who knows a little bit about computers or networks or you know large companies or whatever that have um, electronic uh, communications or you know uh, company communications or you know right. company databases, whatever, everyone knows that you can't go anywhere inside, uh, let's say, your company's system without there being a track. And it has to be human-readable because they have to be able to check it. They just are refusing to release these records to us. And, mm-hmm. and we're saying, look, <clears throat> well, not only are they refusing to release our accounting for disclosures, Mari, but I'm sure most of the people listening can't even get copies of their own electronic records. So... It's not, you know, they're, they're locking patients completely out of the electronic health system, which is crazy. You know, everybody else, every other company on the face of the earth can, can have an individual relationship with me, right? Amazon, yeah. Netflix, right. Hulu, you name it. They can all, you know, contract with me, Deborah Peel, and banks and financial institutions. And, and, uh, and we can decide what to do. You know, I, I think the, the most important thing that, that the listeners should think about is, you know, online banking. You're the one who decides where your assets go and to whom they go and for what reason, for what purpose. You're buying something. You move your assets around and any time you want to, 24-7. You can look online and see what's been happening in your account. Mm. Was that a payment you made? Was there a, a wrong charge there? And by the way, you know this probably, you can set up little alerts with your banking right, system. Right, right. Where they say, whoops, you know, uh, this account has less than $25, Deborah. Right. Or, by the way, did you take out over $5,000 on this right. particular date? And so they can actually communicate with us without really revealing anything, um, you know, to tell us about what's going on with our asset. There right. is zero reason that health technology couldn't give us that same exquisite kind of control and authority and ability to see an accounting for disclosures, because that's what that list of transaction is. It accounts right. <laughs> for everything that you do with that valuable asset, money. And, and you know, you and I have talked before about yeah. how these big databases don't even, they're not, we don't even know what's in there that's correct or incorrect. Oh, yeah. No, I it's mean, a massive patient safety problem, the fact that they're yeah. withholding our information from us. And, yeah. And you're, some, of your, some of your listeners might have actually heard of this uh, famous e-patient Dave, who's an engineer, you know, in the Boston area that was being treated at Harvard which is, you know, supposedly an advanced system. And, and he got, uh, they gave him access to all of his electronic health records, and he had, you know, he had a scary condition, cancer. Yeah. And he found his record was 
filled with errors, yes. filled with errors, wrong diagnoses, wrong medicines, all kinds of stuff. And so it's actually a threat to our health not to be able to even get copies of our records, which, by the way, was, was, in, the, uh, you know, was in the very first yeah. privacy rule, the very first implementation of the law that Congress passed in 2001. We've been supposed to be able to get electronic copies of our records since 2001. Yeah. What is this, 13 years? Yeah. It's crazy. They don't want us to have our own information. They're, they're preventing it. Yeah, it's unlike, at least with, with credit, we can get our credit report that will tell us who has yep. accessed yep. our sensitive data to, to issue credit. I mean, it doesn't cover everything, but at least we can look at it, we can see what our credit score is, we can correct it. It you know, takes some trouble to do it, but we can. But I'm thinking for this, for medical records, and then if we have medical identity theft, which we know sure. has been growing as well, that That's another, messes, exactly. yeah. That's another reason for us to be able to see who's accessed our records, know who they are, and know the purpose. And that's the exact language that the Bipartisan Coalition for Patient Privacy got into the bill. They had to have, it had to have to whom, had to have what data, had to have what the purpose was. And, uh, and like I said, it, the, what are known as audit logs in computer systems are almost exactly what we want. What yes. they don't have is purpose. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of times the purpose of somebody's use of a particular database could infer, be inferred, you know, by their job title or their name or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, maybe there's a tiny bit more that people in hospitals or that people that touch our health information have to add, but they need to add it. Yeah. You know, we have every right to, in the past, if you think about the paper age, no one, nobody got your data without your consent. Right. They just, they just didn't. There, there weren't hundreds or thousands of hidden users. Mm. There weren't millions of hidden users. Today, because of, uh, well, a United States company, it won't surprise you, Mari, uh, describes itself as the world's leading information services and technology company. And their business is the buying, selling, and trading of health information. They, uh, they're now listed on the uh, U.S. Stock Exchange. If anyone's curious, they can look at our website and, and read about this. Uh, but um, they filed a, an initial public offering to sell stock in January with the SEC, and, um, and in it they describe how they, they collect all the data about 500 million people from electronic health records. That means they sell our data. From prescriptions, that means all the pharmacies sell our data. From claims data, that means all the health plans and the health insurers Mm. sell our claims records. And from social media, and that does mean that, yes, Twitter and Facebook sell access to all of their users' Mm. posts and tweets. And uh, and if there are health words in there, um, they sell that. In fact, I saw a presentation this spring by someone from Johns Hopkins who had Twitter data. Uh, they looked at, a, I think, a million people, and they found 5,000 that talked about depression. Of the 5,000, they found 441 whose tweet said, my diagnosis was oh my God. depression. And then they <laughs> tracked 100,000 of their tweets to try to predict who was suicidal. And, you know, I can't tell you how incredibly distressing that is 
because you know people that are people that use Twitter, they don't think they're going to be followed by strangers like right. Beyonce. Right. They're being followed by their friends, and they you know they don't have any idea that this information is being sold for research, even if it is Johns Hopkins. And how would they feel yes. knowing that somebody? you know, has found these 441 people out of what, I don't know, it might be that the public imagines it's like we're a, a giant, uh, you know, a giant bunch of fish in the water, millions of fish, who's going to find me when we're all kind of alike? Well, they're finding you. And they're finding you, and they're able with these, you know, with this data, the big data, they're able to kind of, you know, categorize. And so Absolutely. you are put into these categories and Absolutely. there are profiles on you. So you could have a mega profile on yourself and not even realize that all this various data was gathered together and then put together in a profile on you. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's like it's like people think all these little bits of things that they do here and there in life, driving somewhere, using a cell phone, buying something online or whatever, they're like little tiny pieces but if you put all of these millions of pieces together into a mosaic, it is the most frighteningly specific, detailed picture of you that you can imagine. And it, it, from it, they can infer everything about your personality, certainly about your politics. Uh, you know, and, and then if you think about that recent Facebook announcement that they'd, they'd manipulated people. Right, right. You know, to see if they could affect their moods. Yes, yes, see, yes. See if Neg- they could make people more depressed. Right, right. You know, this was also completely without consent. I mean, the point was, is, and maybe it was just a stunt, who knows, uh, you know, but, uh, well, they were but doing it really research, is possible yeah. to influence people. And, uh, and it's, that's not something, you know, if, if this had been uh, a medical center, they couldn't have done an experiment like that on people without their consent to try to influence their emotions. That would have, right. they would have had to, to get all kinds of permission. The institution would have had to review it to think, to find out if it was safe for humans or what the risk, or at least think about the risks. But none of that happened because Facebook does whatever the hell it wants. It's a, it is just amazing. Yeah. And, and, you know, I had read that uh, Bloomberg article, Hospitals Are Mining Patients' Credit Card Data oh, to Predict yeah. Who Will Get Sick. We don't really have a lot of time left because you're just, you're just filled okay. with such great energy. But if you could just talk a little bit about that, sure. that would be worrisome. I, I will. Okay, so what happens is, is they want to track your data to see if they can predict when you're coming back in the hospital. The things that they were looking for are absurd. I am a physician. They're the same kind of things that your doctor would want to find out about you to treat you well. Can you afford the medicine? Can you get transportation to the doctor's office? Do you have a way of exercising? How are you doing? Rather than spying on people, if the health companies, if the plans just paid for you to have enough time to talk to your doctor, the information would be accurate and it would be in the hands of the person who actually is taking care of you. Exactly. So, yeah, actually, we have a little bit more time than I thought. I looked at the at the clock wrong. No but, problem. Yeah. No. So, let, yeah. So, what are some of the things that that really can happen here with you know what your consumer data says about you? I was looking at this article. Yeah. And um, 
So if they look at, for example, my credit card purchases and they see I'm going to a pizza store or something like yeah. that, they can't they can't really raise my health insurance. Um, they can do anything yeah. they want. This is what people don't understand. Yeah, that's what's scary is can they raise my health insurance Absolutely. premium? Because, Absolutely. Yeah. They, they, can do, they can do anything they want, remember? Insurers used to deny people insurance because of a previous you know, condition. Yeah, right. It took a federal law to change that. If they can find out, you know, what you're eating or what you're doing or not doing or infer that, assuming that it's you driving that car instead of your kid right. or, you know, your elderly mother. I mean, if they're going to use inferential data, it's going to be wrong and, and you won't get the right treatment and they're going to use it not in your benefit. You know, they say they want to predict when you're get, getting sick. Here, here's, here's something your, your audience would like to know. The new National Coordinator for Health IT, Dr. Karen DeSalvo, comes from New Orleans. And she told me personally, she did a study where they tested how did patients feel about the quality of their care and their well-being, you know, you know just, you know, how did you feel about it and, and what's your prediction for your health? And, you know, and they said things like good, bad, or whatever. It turned out just asking the patient, how they thought their health was and where their health was going was an incredibly accurate predictor. Mm. You just have to talk to people. Yes. You know, the idea that we're going to replace doctors or relationships with data is, is crazy, and it's wrong because the best data comes from when two people talk together, and that's you and your doctor. And, uh, and one of the things that we're hoping to start, and, and maybe your listeners will help us with, is a campaign. Use a hashtag, my health data is mine, every chance you get. The fact that you charge a pizza, that's health data. My health data should be mine. It shouldn't be anyone else's to use without my permission. We have to take back control of our health information, but the first thing is you have to know that we don't have it. And there's a massive, it's like an ad campaign, you know, to convince us that all of this use of our most intimate data is going to be all wonderful and good. Really. And it scares me when I think about how we look at, um, we use the Internet. When we have something wrong with us, we search the Internet and we look at WebMD or WebMD Mayo sells data. That is absolutely right. their business. No, I'm so glad you brought that up, Mari. That's one of the things that's made me the most angry because everyone assumes that if they're looking for something about health or if health is in the name of the website or MD or anything like that, that these are going to be people or companies that are only, you know, doing this as a public service. They're right. only trying to help me. Well, no, they're not. Right. They're trying to get more information about you so that they can sell it because anything about your health is worth like 10 times as much as your Social Security number, which maybe sells for $5 or 50 cents. I forget. You might have mm -hmm. the figures more than I do on the, the latest on what data sells for what. But health data is the most Anything about your mind or body is the most valuable data anyone can buy online. And believe me, they're not buying it to help you. Right. They're buying it for one of two reasons, to sell you something right. or to discriminate about, against you. Right. That's it. You know, I don't know why. <laughs> it's, like, it's like the public is sort of um, 
Well, they're trusting. In, in being suspicious, you know. Right, right. Everybody used to say Americans are smart. They know there's no free lunch. Right. But they don't really know that. They, they trust. They, they trust We're very their... trusting. Yes. I think particularly so around health. Yes. You know, it, it, if we think it's somewhere, you know, that has, uh, you know, a good name like uh, uh, Mayo, we might right. think Mayo they're not Clinic. selling our data. Right. But they do sell data. Yes. And virtually all of the electronic health record systems sell data. Well, we are just about out of time. I want to make sure that people um, sign up to receive the updates. At You want to just tell them your website? Sure, yes, we'll update you, www.patientprivacyrights.org. And um, you also might want to look at www.healthprivacysummit.org, where you can see national and international leaders in videos talking about the most urgent health privacy problems and uh, what's going on. It's, uh, it's incredibly important, not just for your health, but for our democracy, democracy. because if we don't get back our data, hashtag, my health data is mine, if we don't get back health data, we will never get back control of all the other personal information about us being ripped off online. Yes, Dr. Deborah Peel, you are wonderful. We are so happy that you're doing all the great work that you're doing, and we will have you back again soon. Thank you so much for joining us. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM Irvine and KUCI.org. On the net, I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. and visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Thanks. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.